All right. What's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of The Jungle. Uh, today I have with me my little sister, uh, Deanna Tackett. So Deanna is actually a uh, emergency crisis counselor for Access or for uh, Coleman Professional Services. Uh, she's also a district mental health therapist. Um, so she's kind of on the front lines against um, at-risk youth and um, deals with some of the adults kind of dealing with mental health issues. Uh, when they come into Coleman. So guys, without further ado, this is my little sister. Say hi, Deanna. Hello. Um, so guys, I'm kind of, this is going to be a little bit uh, off on what my normal subject matter is and topic is. Um, I'm going to let Deanna go ahead and talk about kind of what, uh, what our life was like growing up real quick, kind of where, where we came from, and then we're going to get into kind of what she does now uh, as far as at Coleman and as far as working at the uh, at the local schools. So, Deanna, go ahead and just tell everybody kind of who you are, um, what your what what your childhood was kind of like, and then we'll go from there. Um, and don't I, lie, I'm here. No, I was there. I lived. You know, was I mean, was good. I was the baby of four kids. I was daddy's little girl. Um, I was a spoiled little shit. So uh there wasn't anything that I asked for that I really didn't get besides the horse that dad never got me that I still hold on to to this day. But you know, you and I were always close growing up. Um, you know, you were my big protector in school whenever I had problems. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it. We were pretty close as a family. I mean, dad, you know, dad owned several businesses. He wasn't always around. Um, but I realized as I got older that that, that was a money move. He made a lot more money when he was at those businesses himself. Um, and, you know, so in order to provide the life that he wanted to provide for us, that was, that was what he did. But I mean, I, you know, we always went on family, I think up until we were teenagers, because then we didn't want to spend time with our parents anymore. But, you know, we were, when we were younger, I mean, we were going to Florida to see Uncle Ronnie and them every year, spending a couple weeks down there, going to Arizona to see Aunt Nay. And, um, you know, so we had, I mean, we had a good childhood. Yeah, I don't, I, it's, I, I always tell everybody because, you know, you get, I mean, people like me anyway, um, and you, you never got into drugs, you never got into trouble or anything like that. But um, a lot of the people I interview, it's, most of us, especially that we grew up with, came from decent homes, came from money, came yeah. from uh, didn't have a whole lot of hardships growing up. And that seems to be the more people, at least I talk to on my end um, and have on here, that seems to be the the running theme. So, yeah, yeah. well, I think that kind of plays into a little bit of what we're going to talk about with my jobs is, you know, a lot of times I see with kids that they don't go down that path because they watched their parents struggle. Um, you know, I mean, of course there's the other side of it where they do go down that path because, you know, of, of the environment they grew up in. But a lot of times it's that they watched their parents struggle and they saw what it did to their family. So they decided they, there was no way they were going to do that. Right. All right, guys, sorry. Had some technical difficulties there. Dogs jumping gates and I'm having issues going live. So, um, all right. So, yeah, no, uh, we had a pretty typical childhood growing up, had a pretty, I would call it regular. Um, so what, uh, what, let me just, and I'm going to ask briefly because, I mean, a lot of people don't know. When I, when I started getting into drugs and trouble, what, what, what was going on with you? Like what? What were your signs? How did all that make you feel? Pretty awful. So, I mean, you know, I remember at the time, like, we, addiction, first and foremost, was not um, in the forefront of everybody's mind like it is more now. 
you know, this was the height of the opioid epidemic um, over prescribing. And so this was all new territory, not just for us as a family, but really for the nation. Um, can you hear that? Because he apparently jumped the table. Can you hear it? Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. Okay, okay. I just didn't want it to be super distracting. It was a lot of learning to navigate um, something that we had no idea to navigate. There was a lot of enabling, um, a lot of, you know, that we didn't realize at the time was enabling. Uh, we genuinely thought that we were trying to help. Um, I think the uh, the epitome, the worst part of it was there was a time that I didn't hear from you for about a week. Um, I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I I legitimately thought that you were dead. Yeah. Um, puppies, man, puppies. Um, so where's where's their gatekeeper at? Uh, she stayed the night at a friend's. Yeah, she stayed the night at a friend's. And she asked me, she literally came home from work and I was knocked. So she asked me, and I didn't remember that she asked me until I actually woke up this morning because like I was just so sleepy when she asked me. And I've told her before that I know she does that on purpose. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but no, so the night that you were arrested, <clears throat> um, you had called me, but I found out that you were, um, being blasted all over TV because- Oh yeah, my, I, my, my wonderful old friend group. Yeah. 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 On yeah, that was on Facebook. That, you're talking TV. That was though. on Facebook. No, on, um, I found out that it was on the news because my, um, at the time I coached middle school cheerleading and I had talked with one of my cheerleaders because she was going through, um, her dad drinking heavily. And so I had not given her a whole lot of information about you, but just kind of enough to say like, look, I understand what you were going through. I'm here for you if you need me. Um, and so, of course, she saw it on the news that night and connected the last names and sent me a screenshot and a text message and said, is this your brother? And I went. And so, yeah, then then the shitstorm happened from there. Yeah, that was uh, I, I got to say that was not my shiniest moment in the spotlight, um, but I. You know, the older I get, the more, the only thing that I regret about any of that stuff that I did was obviously the people that I hurt. Um, I don't regret. And and when I say the people I hurt, I'm talking you, I'm talking mom, I'm talking the kids. Um, I'm talking, you know, the people whose houses I went into and, and violated their safe space. You know, I, the, that's what I truly still feel bad about that I can't quite shake. Um, but I don't regret anything that I ever did because I, I kind of feel like it's just kind of made me who I am today. It gave me an opportunity to, um, realize and grow what kind of was going on and, um, just learn yeah. how to tackle life. So I, uh, I, and again, I, I know I've told you and mom that I was sorry, but I, uh, I will issue a formal apology. <laughs> so I do apologize. Um, but yeah, I don't. Mary and I have talked before and I've told her, you know, I don't think you guys would have the Chris that you have today if I had never. <sighs> Mom always makes a joke, always makes the statement that I was always very dismissive. I was always very um, just cocky and very I am the center of the universe and my opinion is the only opinion that matters. And I uh, I think that would still be the Chris that you guys have today, if that stuff hadn't happened, if I hadn't had to walk through the fire and get yeah. kicked in the dick with what life was really about. So, um, well, and, and that's, honestly, that's part of this situation, what we went through with you and, and watching 
what the kids went through, that is what led me to being a counselor. That wasn't the path that I was on um, previously. So, you know, yeah, it was, it was tough. And um, obviously I, I appreciate the apology. And I think that we've come a really long ways in our relationship, but you know, it, it had its, I hate to use the word pros for me because like there it's not, but you know what I mean? Like that's ultimately what led me down the path of what I'm doing today. So nothing, uh, nothing happens by chance. Um, I think everything, I think there's a predestined plan for everybody. I think God has a path for everybody. I know I promised, I told you I was going to stop fucking with this, but, um, I'm still working on it a little bit. But no, I, everybody has a plan and everybody has a path and God, and, and you know, you just have to accept it and you have to take the lessons, um, as they come. So let's talk about what you're doing for work now. You're, so you kind of got into the field because of, um, you, well, you redirected your career path because of what I was going through and the kids and so on and so forth. Um, Let's talk about how you got what what was the what was the moment where you decided to kind of change your career path and get into schooling and mental health and working with kids and so on and so forth. Um so to start, I decided that I wanted to head into this career kind of in general because of I I remember for a good probably four to five months. Um, mom and I trying to find rehabs, trying to find resources for you, um, and just hitting brick walls everywhere we turned, you know, this rehab wanted $30,000. This one wanted 60,000. This one was across the country. This one had, and it was like, no matter where we turned, we had no support. We could not get any help. And so, when I first signed up for school, my goal was to be a support for families and addicts. Um, that was my main, like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, but then as we kind of went through everything from start to finish with you, you know, you getting um, arrested and incarcerated, and then I watched how it affected the kids. Um, that was when I really decided like, this is going to be my focus because originally I wanted to be an early childhood teacher. So it kind of just came yeah. full circle back to working with kids just in a different way. Okay. Um, so explain, so now just tell me what, what, what do you do on a daily basis? I mean, I know you have, t you have two different jobs that you're working and yeah. you work a fuck ton of hours. Yeah. So what is it? Like, what do your responsibilities entail at at Access or Coleman? And then we'll talk about your other your other okay. gig. So, um, at Access, I am technically part time. I tend to work close to thirty hours a week because I am a workaholic, um, and that's how I how I cope with stress in my life, which seems very uh, yeah counteractive, but. Um, so access is, it's a 24 hour crisis, 24 hour in-person services, as well as phone. Um, so you can call in at any point if you are in a crisis, if you're just stressed out, um, it does not have to be, I'm suicidal. And I think some people, um, get that perception that, 24-hour crisis has to be, I'm suicidal. It doesn't. It can be, I had a really crappy day today and I don't have anybody else that I can talk to about this and I'm just so overwhelmed. So when I'm there, I'm answering phone calls. Um, we have a lot of, like, if we have high-risk people that don't show for counseling appointments, psychiatry appointments, they're added to what's called a follow-up list. We make those phone calls and attempt to reach them and just make sure they're okay. Um, and then, you know, the final thing is um, in-person crisis counseling if somebody comes in um, or 
screening for hospitalization. You know, we do get the people, um, both adults and kids that come in, they're suicidal um, or they're in the midst of a psychotic episode. They're not able to care for themselves. They're not able to keep themselves safe. And then that's when we go through the process of talking to them about getting them to a higher level of care to ensure that they're good to go. What's that like working with them? I mean, you you encounter some pretty uh, some pretty interesting individuals from what you and I have talked about. Um, yeah, yeah. You is know, that, is I, that hard with like with like? Or, well, with with where I was, I mean, watching. Obviously, I'm sure you get a lot of guys detoxing coming in, and I'm sure you get a lot of people that are. Um, just kind of at the, I, I remember the night that you came and picked me. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell this story real quick um, because it's kind of, I, I got admitted to a uh, psych ward um, thanks to my little sister. Uh, so I was, staying, I was staying at a, uh, I was staying at my buddy's house. I had kind of been MIA for a while and uh, he had kicked me out. And so I, Called my sister at that point. My sister and my mother were not letting, would not have anything. Not that they, they never not had anything to do with me. I would disappear, but um, I was not allowed in to stay the night at their houses. It was, um, it was very much so, you know, we love you, but we love you from afar. And I uh, had gotten in the back of my sister's car and I remember uh, we were going across the Y bridge and I was begging her to just let me go stay at her house. Let me see the kids. Let me come spend the night at the house. I don't want to go to the men's shelter, um, but I had nowhere to go and it was in the middle of winter. And so I had made a comment and I remember I, <laughs> I was always a clean drug addict. I, as funny as that sound, I was an IV user and I always had fresh boxes of needles and I bought them in bulk. And I think I, I think I, scattered almost like 500 needles across your back seat they're all wrapped in packages but i was throwing a fucking temper tantrum and uh i made the comment going across the y bridge like just stop i'm getting out i'm jumping i'm done i, I don't want to live anymore so deanna in her infinite wisdom just says you know let's go to the hospital i had no idea what the hospital was gonna do i figured they would maybe get me into a detox um but the hospital won't keep you unless you get pink slipped. So we walked in and Deanna immediately starts telling the officers and the staff that her brother is suicidal. He has made comments to kill himself. And then her brother got pink slipped. Um, fair, and you know what? That's okay. To be fair, <laughs> my hope was because we were in Akron that if it started there, that they would then help you with detox and get you into further services. I did have a plan in my head. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the deal. Like it was, that was just a clusterfuck of a situation anyway, because yeah. I was at work then and I literally, I, that was at the point where I was literally every time I would use dope, I was using enough that I was hoping it was going to kill me. Um, and, but we also, Akron's funny. Like Akron is a, Akron's a funny place to try and seek help because we walked in and obviously they pink slipped me. Well, I, I wasn't necessarily suicidal and I kept telling them I'm a drug addict. I need detox. I'm a drug addict. I need detox. And I remember they put me in an ambulance and took me over to the psych ward at like, it was like 1am mm -hmm. and, uh, I walk in and all I have on is I have a blanket. I'm in, I think I'm in my underwear at that point. They bagged all my clothes. I had a blanket that I was wrapped up in and I had to sit and talk with a shrink at like one, 2 AM. They called this guy in to talk to me. So, um, at that point he basically, uh, admitted me as a psych patient and, I got to go hang out in the psych ward for, and I remember by the time my, by the time I actually started detoxing, I was going through it and I was going through it in a psych ward where I tech and there was a detox unit ADM downstairs and I was begging the women. I was like, please, I'm not in the right. Like I need to be downstairs. I don't need to be up here. Well, they get that all the time. They, and it's, it's, we don't have a bed. You're going to wait. And I'm pink slipped. I can't go anywhere. Um, there's a guy with a gun at the door. Like <laughs> I can't go anywhere, but 
it's uh and and I guess we could touch on that real quick, like how kind of broken the system is. I, I guess broken's a bad word. I don't think it's necessarily broken. I think it's I think a lot of drug I think a lot of addiction and a lot of recovery is misunderstood and it's all outdated. Um, the way so. that we handle yeah, the way that the way that drug addicts are handled and the way that mental health is handled ever since Reagan's deal, that's where they shut down all the asylums. Um, mental health has kind of taken a back seat in America. Um, and it was it was kind of progressive up into that point. And I understand why they why deinstitutionalization happened, because obviously we had asylums that were disgusting. They were not fit for people to live in. They were people were being treated as experimented on. And, they, you know, it's. If you look back through the the history of asylums, it's it's actually very that's that's why there's a lot of horror movies about asylums. The the asylums in the United States were just disgusting. Um, but so while I understand it, I think we've still since deinstitutionalization, it has kind of still it's 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 more hindered mental health. There should have been an overhaul. It it should have never gone. We're just closing these down. It should have been more funding was allotted more. People were appointed to look into it. I, I guess outdated is the best term terminology to use. So I don't want to say it's useless. Um, but yeah, so and you deal with that on a daily basis. I mean, we could talk about you're you're also a uh, mental health therapist for children in the school district. So I, I mean, you see generational curses and generational trauma coming in on a daily basis. And, and what's wild, I think is the amount of kids that, and my daughter's one of them, man. And and you see it all day, like kids coming in, being suicidal kids coming in. And I, I look, I look back and I think back to when you and I were in high school and that didn't happen. Like you didn't have now a plethora or a, you didn't have a large amount of children on a day. Like every time I talk to you and you're at school, and you're like, I've got, I've got kids coming in. I've got kids coming in. Yeah. What's that? I said on a date. So a date. I, I think, yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, this, this all boils down to the same thing that I've said for years and it's people don't work on their bullshit. Like you don't understand that by you not working on your bullshit and fixing yourself and fixing your trauma and learning to love yourself, you're never going to be able to love those kids. You'll right. never fix the generational curses that are being passed down year to year. You may not understand the general generational curses, but it's up to you to pinpoint them, work on them and iron them out. So they're no longer, you know, and I, nobody wants to do that anymore. We're, we're in an age where social media and, video games and television raises our kids and um it's 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 sad to look at it's sad to actually be able to sit back and view what's going on and i'm sure i'm sure you feel the same way yeah uh, this is a it's a daily conversation um that i have at the schools between me and other staff that just continually see every single year these kids kind of getting worse as far as behavior and listening and um being able to be redirected that instant gratification that they have now become so accustomed to you know 10 years ago we could use behavior charts <laughs> for those that were like the really high oppositional defiant or ADHD and they would have a weekly chart and you got your stickers. And at the end of the week, you got a prize or something that you had chosen as your reward for being able to stay on track with your goals. Because of these kids having phones at the ages of five, six years old and getting so used to that instant gratification, we struggle yep. to have kids even do a behavior chart on a daily basis. It is almost like a lot of these kids need some type of instant gratification class by class by class. And I don't, <clears throat> it's become so normalized for kids to have access to phones and social media at such a young age that I don't, I don't think that everybody, you know, like large scale 
realizes how much damage it is truly doing to them. Um, well, no, it's it's never it's social media kind of just came in like a tidal wave. Like it it's it's um yeah. it blew up without anybody realizing what was actually happening or what the repercussions were going to be or what the what what the price was that everybody was going to pay. You know. Yeah. I um I say time and time again um and I don't know if you remember this I know mom and I have talked about it but you know my sixth grade year in middle school was rough um I I was bullied pretty bad to the point where I was going to change schools at the end of the year um but one particular student was moving so we decided to try it again and everything worked out fine from there. Um, I look at these fifth and sixth graders and even seventh graders now. Um, they're in group chats with 70 other students for their grade and the stuff that is being said in these group chats social media and the stuff that is being posted about them. I look back to when I was in sixth grade and feeling the way that I felt about myself. And I think to myself, I am so thankful that I did not have this stuff back then because I probably would have been one of those suicidal students coming in and yeah. saying, because I already felt worthless with what was happening, but had they had 24 access to me, I, right. I just, you know, and then, so that then leads into, we have this giant mental health crisis in America, not just with adults, but with kids. Um, the resources aren't there. You know, I'm the only therapist for an entire district. That includes right. preschool through high school. Um, there's not enough of me, but the, the funding also is not there. There aren't any more grants that we can get to pay for more of me. Um, you know, our district is a poorer district, so we don't have the community funding to continue to pour in. So it just, it's, it is, it's this vicious cycle. Um, and it's like you said, the generational curses, um, because a lot of these parents who were raised the same way um, just continue to raise their kids the same. And it, it doesn't give any better outcomes for their kids. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's something, man. I, and it's scary because it's like all, uh, the only thing that's happening is just regression. Like the, nothing's being, nothing's actually being fixed or done to fix the problem. Um, yeah. There's no limits being put in place. Parents still aren't monitoring, monitoring their kids. I mean, fuck, we, we went through it with, with Nevaeh. I mean, when she was out here living with us, it was a lot of, like you said, they just have access to her 24 hours a day. Um, yeah. and, and she, she it, was right? a target. She was the new girl out here. And right. Right. And you know, like, <clears throat> Again, you've been down this road with Vague, just as I have. Um, it's not fun as a parent to have to put those limits in place. It's not fun as a parent right. to ground your child because that essentially means you are grounded. You are doing the 24-hour yeah. monitoring. You are making sure that every single night you are checking that phone to make sure they didn't re-download. Like, I get it. It is a huge inconvenience and pain in the butt, but you know what? That's parenting. And when you want right. your kids to well, become functional members of society as adults, like that's what you signed up for. Um, yeah. oh, for and it's sure. frustrating I, to see that those, you know, especially again in my position every single day, it's frustrating to see that those limits aren't put in place for kids because yeah. that just trickles into every part of their life and that's then why we have so much trouble at school with discipline and yeah yeah i mean it's 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 just a downward spiral um let's uh so the uh 
trying to think where we should go from here. Do you want to get into CPS? Yeah, we can. I mean, I kind of feel like um, that's the, the biggest thing. So, all right. So let me just, I'll give everybody some background as to what kind of happened and what prompted this episode uh, particularly. So guys, obviously Deanna's role is very important as far as mental health and recovery. Um, she's not a recovery counselor, but she deals with a lot of children on a day in day out basis. Um, there is a certain individual, we will say, my sister has cared for her for the last four years. Um, yeah, I'm just going to fucking say it. I don't really care because it's all bullshit. Uh, it, you can choose your words. I'm, I'm just going to call it out there. So my ex-wife, uh, my sister has had custody of, uh, temporary custody of her little girl, Adriana for the last four years. And there is a, well, three, um, there, there has been a significant custody battle. Um, where now basically CPS has completely taken, not completely, I think Deanna still gets one night a week with her. Um, but the problem here, and I, I understand where a lot of people are going to jump in here and probably jump on the bandwagon of, well, the kid needs to be back with the parents. So just in the time that, the, that, that little girl has gone back to her parents, um, there has been a noticeable difference in her in her uh in her overall physical appearance in her um emotional state in her cleanliness in in all kinds of different avenues and you know Deanna Deanna's been contacted several times by the the teachers at the daycare um the daycare has actually reached out to certain agencies on several occasions trying to make um, sense of what's going on or give them an understanding of what's going on. And nobody is, nobody gives a fuck. CPS in Portage County has basically, um, done what CPS does and just bowed out and walked away and signed out, signed a book off on allowing a case to go by the wayside, allowing a child to go by the wayside just because of reunification. Um, me personally, I don't get to see the little girl anymore, so I'm going to call it what it is. I know Deanna's still in her life, so I will let Deanna say what she wants to say. Um, Deanna's got some statistics about CPS and uh, the system, so I will let her kind of give her give her end of things and share her piece as well. Um, <clears throat> so I will um, – I'll start with the situation um, that we're currently in, um, and then we can kind of, you know, wrap – maybe wrap up with some of the statistics that I found. Um, I, when I first agreed to take this child in, I was, I was contacted directly by mom. Um, and I was more than happy to, um, it was with the understanding that mom and dad were working towards reunification. That was never, um, you know, I did not take her in from the onset going, she's with me forever. Um, mom and dad struggled significantly that first, I, almost first year. Um, and then the, the, as we entered, kind of like the 12 month mark, um, they started to make progress on their case plan. And um, so then she she went home. Um, it was 18 months to the month that she had been with me when she was reunified and went home. And then um, about six months later, there was another incident that caused her to come back to me. Um, and my thing is, and, and I feel comfortable saying this on here because mom and I have had this conversation uh, multiple times. CPS's job is, um, I mean, they're child protective services, right? So, yeah, um, the goal is always to reunification. When you're referring to mom, you're not talking our mom, right? No, you're talking. No, I'm sorry. I'm talking the little one's mom. The, okay. Um, yeah, just to, yeah, to clarify that. Um, and 
the problem becomes when reunification is the goal no matter what, no matter the stability that the child has had, the bond in the home that the child has. When they first sent her home, um, it said in the court documents that she was supposed to be under protective supervision, which is basically they stay involved not to the extent that they were before, because obviously she is back in the home, she has been reunified, but they continue to stay involved and have regular check-ins. I don't know about drug screens at that point, but, you know, they stay involved. Um, The court document stated for four to six months. They closed her case in two months with one visit from a caseworker to the home. They not only failed the child, but they failed mom in that circumstance because they they didn't give her the support that she needed to succeed. And do I miss that little girl fiercely? It it has been devastating in my home without her here every day. You well, and just so everybody knows. Just so everybody's aware, too, you know, while reunification was always the goal, there was a stable household, and my daughter, Nevaeh, had gotten in some trouble out here um, and went to go live with my sister. It was about two, three years ago. So my daughter had her sister in the home with her. My daughter was helping take care of her, helping raise her. They had a great relationship, and now it's my daughter's paid the price on this, too. Um Yeah, just to give everybody kind of an idea, it's not like it it wasn't like there was no siblings around. It's my sister has my daughter and she has um, she had her little sister. So go ahead. I just wanted everybody Uh, to know. No. Yeah, because I do think that's important to know. Um, And, you know, I I always had a good relationship with mom and dad. I I like to think that I still do, although I do think it has become a little bit more strained over this last last six months with this most recent case because it did become more apparent to them that I felt Adriana needed to stay with me. Um, I think that my my biggest complaint in all of this, and I because of working with the system professionally, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit um, more personal to me. Maybe the emotions are stronger to me because I see a lot of failures as well um, professionally, but I had always made it clear um, that I wanted mom and dad in her life. Like even when during the case we had visits here, you know, I, I never wanted to cut them out. I always felt very strongly that as long as they were safe and sober, they needed to be mom and dad and Adriana needed to know them as mom and dad. My biggest complaint in this was number one, the lack of follow-up with CPS to make sure that, as I said, they, they didn't just fail her. Um, they, they failed mom the first reunification because they didn't provide any support after, Um, you know, so that's my biggest complaint. But, you know, secondly, it would be that, and I've had multiple people say this to me, um, friends, coworkers who like, I'm trying to process this with. It's one thing if you have a child in the foster system, right? Foster homes, There is no permanency there, and you want to at all costs do reunification. Completely understandable. When you have a family member that the home is safe, stable, and that family member is more than happy to continue a relationship with bio parents, and that child has thrived there, and it's and it's not just that it's not just all of that, but it's that it's been a majority of this child's very short life they are not taking into account the emotional and i say that because this last time of her going home has been the roughest the first time i i think she was young enough that yes she missed being here but she was young enough that it was still 
you know, like she couldn't fully comprehend, like she was back with mom and dad. It was cool. This last time I, as well as her teachers, and as you said, others, um, there has been a very, very big change in her. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see. And that's where I don't think that that specifically is is taken into account strongly enough is it's kind of like it's automatically assumed that the child is going to be elated to go back to mom and dad's and let me preface that with she loves her mom and dad she gets excited to see mom and dad like anytime we're talking about it she is she is happy but in that same respect, when her and I are talking, this is still home. Um, well, it's the only home that she's known her her right. entire life. Um, I mean, she still calls me crying, wanting to come over. Sundays have kind of been the typical day that I've gotten her just because of my work schedule, mom and dad doing shared parenting. Um never before was it a problem to drop her off at daycare in the morning when I went to work. She now cries every single time. She doesn't want me to go to work. And I think it's because she's put those pieces together that I had my night with Dee Dee, because that's what she calls me, Dee Dee. Um, and now I'm going back to school and I don't know when I'm going to see her again because, you know, kids have no concept of time. So um, to her, that next week feels like it's been forever. Um, she doesn't realize that it's a it's a steady thing. So um, it's been tough. Um, the caseworker has not contacted me once since court in November to see how things have been going. Um, you know, they kept me an official part of the case in the court documents. I'm I'm still officially placement. Um, but there's been no communication with well, me. I'm going to, because this is my platform, uh, just make a overall statement about the Portage County CPS system and the Portage County court system. Um, you fucking people are corrupt uh, in all avenues of the court system. I don't have a problem saying it. Yes, I was guilty of what I did. Um, but your drug task force fucking threw charges on me that were non-substantial. Um, uh, and I have dealt with your corruptness and your bullshit over the years. Uh, my dad did, I did. It's, it's Portage County is a good old boys club and I have no problem fucking saying it. Everybody that lives out there knows Portage County is a good old boys club. And you, if, if you don't know somebody in the, if the court system or the CPS system or any of those systems, the juvenile system, and you go in there with no representation or anything, uh, or if you don't have a name out there, they're going to fucking railroad you. They're corrupt. They're fucked up. They're assholes. And I'm going to say it. I don't really care. Um, the CPS system, CPS in Portage County, you motherfuckers should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, I have watched and sat on the sideline this entire time. You have not done your jobs. You have not followed up. You have not been a advocate for that little girl. All this turned into was you wanted to sign your fucking signature on a file and get that file off your fucking desk. And it's disgusting. This was the one case probably in a million now, I won't even say a million because I can guarantee you guys are just signing off on whatever the fuck you can to get those files off your desks. I understand you're overworked. I over I understand you're overloaded. It's no excuse. Um, that little girl is not in a good place right now. And I don't care if my ex-wife, I don't care if her fucking kid's dad sees it. I don't care who sees it. Um, my sister, she won't speak up on it. She's heavily involved. Uh, I'm telling all of you, you should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. It's disgusting the way that this case was treated. It's disgusting that nobody has done a follow-up on that little girl. Would you have the daycare calling? Would you have her school calling? Uh, making complaints, making reports? And what, you guys just delete the messages? Oh, if the message isn't there, we don't have to pay attention to it. It's fucking gross. I could go on and on. The Guardian had lied him, lying to my sister stating that he's going to make fucking certain comments in court. And then the court goes silent. When we go to court, it's, well, you know, we're just going to get it off the desk. The judge, I don't know who the fucking judge is. You should be ashamed of yourself too. This girl's life is going to be fucking traumatized and it's all your faults.
with that being said, that's my piece. Um, that's why I now live in Stark County because fuck Portage County. Go ahead, Deanna. <laughs> All right. So transitioning. I got my coffee cup for, I got my, my coffee cup for Portage County. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of want to, I do want to go off of that, that we talked earlier about funding for mental health. Yeah. This is another problem. Um, the funding for agencies like CPS, um, the funding is not there and the staff is overworked. And part of the reason that the staff is so overworked is because the funding isn't there to have the appropriate number of staff that they need and to pay them well. Um, as a whole, mental health professionals are one of the most underpaid professionals in America. Um, and that- Well, it's a good you, know, you throw yourself into fucking massive amounts of student debt. Yeah. Um, and that goes for therapists, social workers, case managers, um, the boots on the ground people. And we are, we are severely underpaid, um, which is why I work two jobs. <laughs> because as a single woman who owns a home, um, you know, has two dogs now, um, has a teenager living under her roof, which regardless of, you know, her working and whatnot, um, she some weeks eats all the food in the house, other weeks doesn't eat a thing and then goes through all the shampoo. You know what I mean? Like, it's just stupid little stuff like that, but it adds up. Um, but the bottom line is, is honestly, even if it were just me and I didn't have the dogs, I didn't have Nevaeh, um, I would still be working two jobs to keep my house afloat as a single woman. We are just severely. Yeah, I, I, well, listen, I, I, I completely agree with you that I think your profession is underpaid. This goes for CPS too. Um, yeah. But when there is blatant proof in front of you that this was not a good move yeah. when there is blatant proof and people calling and people making complaints, um, it, they dropped the ball on this one. I, well, they, they a hundred percent did. And they're, and your job, but you're, and, and here's what pisses me off. I understand you're overworked and underpaid. You're, you still have a responsibility in your job to do what is right for that child. Absolutely. And and at this point, all I've seen is nobody gives a fuck, a absolute fuck about that kid. It's, yeah. well, we just want to reunify the parents. And that's the dumbest shit that I've ever seen come out of that court system. Um, do the parents need to be involved? Absolutely. Both parents have proven they have no business being involved, be, having, having sole custody of that child. I mean, it's, we're, we're not even two months in. And we're getting, you're getting complaints from the school and calls from the school saying her hair is matted, her, she's not clean, her, you know what I mean? It's, and nobody's calling to check up on it. I understand, as far as CPS goes and, and the ad litem and everybody else goes, I understand you're overworked and underpaid. I get it. Hey, it's the good old US of A. Fucking everybody is. But when you took that responsibility and you decided to go into that profession, you have a responsibility to do what's right for those children. And you're not. Yeah. And I, and I do, I, I was going to get there because I do think that you are absolutely correct. Um, I also will say that the more research that I have done um, and people that I have talked to, one of the reasons um, that there is such high turnover is, I mean, obviously I think the first one is the just amount of cases, their caseload. Um, not enough time in the day. But one thing that I have heard time and time again from many that I have spoke to, um, and I'm not just talking Portage, I've talked to a couple in different, um, different counties. These caseworkers are being held down by a larger system that is not always allowing them to advocate for what they feel is right. I, I understand that. I we had and the I same instance with a, with an incident go across the supervisor's desk, and they fucking ignored it. I I yeah. get it. Yeah, um, and so I 
obviously you don't go into this job um, with bad intentions. As we talked with the mental health system um, and the closing of asylums really just needing an overhaul, um, this entire system needs an overhaul, not just in Portage County. Um, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups who have um, foster and kinship across the nation. It's not just an Ohio thing. Um, There are states that have better systems in place, um, but the majority of us in those groups feel that these systems, these processes, the way that we are treated as caregivers um, is really terrible. And it's, it's, it is not doing what it is set up to do. Just as, you right. know, the closing of asylums was, did not do what it was intended to do. Um, as a nation, we have got to stop making these quick decisions and looking at the system as a whole. Um, I became part of a small group of foster moms, um, kinship caregivers that were on the same page as I was as far as just feeling like this system needs needs an overhaul. Um, we cannot get anybody to touch it. We have contacted state representatives, local representatives, DeWine's office. Um, nobody will return our calls. If they do return our calls, they're um, placating, oh, we'll get back to you. Um, the general response that we have gotten is go to Columbus. Okay, we'll go to Columbus and do what? Right. Go to Columbus and, and sit in the lobby for days and days until somebody decides that they're tired of looking at us and is going to have a meeting with us. Um, the advocacy is there. We have people that want to work with the system and change it. We have people that want to put in the work to help these systems change so that you guys can more effectively do your job. And nobody, nobody wants to call us back. Nobody wants to work with us. Yeah, it's not the kid, it's not their problem. Yeah. Um and so, you know, again, I and I think it was just last week or the week before you and I had a conversation. I was just having a bad day. I was really missing um, my little one. And, you know, I kind of go through those swings where, like, I'm okay. And I'm used to now, you know, her only being here once a week. And then I'll have a day where it just kind of hits me all over again. And I'm like, man, damn, I miss that little girl. Um, and I was having one of those days and I, I had just had an incident in my second job, um, where I had a, um, and obviously for, you know, HIPAA reasons, I can't go into a lot of details, but I will just say that I had a, um, I had a child with visible, um, injuries and, um, it was not just me calling to say, I am not comfortable with this child leaving. Um, There were multiple systems involved with making that phone call. I I believe it was the week, actually, I think it was the day. Um, Needless to say, that child left with um, parents that night. Um, They did not come out um, to do anything that night. I went into work. So as a mandated reporter, we obviously give all of our information and then we will get a letter to our place of employment that just tells us whether or not the case has been um, open for an official investigation or basically whether or not there, like, there wasn't enough evidence to open an official investigation at this time. So it is being filed away. And then if they get further calls from there, you know what I mean? Um, and I I went into my second job and I got the letter um, that this case um, had, had ultimately been dismissed, um, that they were not going to open an official investigation. In that moment, I started questioning whether I wanted to be in this profession anymore. 
my oh, yeah, ultimate it's... goal starting was to help kids. Um, and so it hasn't just been in my personal life, but, and this is just one instant that was recent, that was really like a huge, because it wasn't just me calling it. Like I said, like there were multiple in the same night. Um, and it is so defeating to know that you are trying so hard to help these kids and protect these kids and the ones that are supposed to be there to to have your back in doing that um isn't um so you really have to do a lot of work on yourself to realize and this is one of the things that you even said to me you said deanna you have to realize that you can help them for the time that you're with them. You can help them, you know, in those moments and hopefully give them some tools that they will take with them. Um, But you have to, and this is one of the things I've always struggled with, you have to realize you can't save them all. Um, That's going to be the hardest part with anybody in that profession. And again, I, I may... I get it. It's like that all across the board. Um, You went into a profession where it's just watching the ugly side of the human race is going to just be apparent on a daily basis. Um, And it, unfortunately, when you have a heart for kids and you went into it to help kids, I think it's a double-edged sword. You're, you're just, you're cut by both ends every single day. You, and and I I think a lot of people go into it not realizing how much hurt you you go into it for the right reasons you think you're going to make a difference you think you're going to make a change and like you said there's all kinds of levels above you that you I think you are sadly mistaken as to what kind of change you're going to just be permitted to make yeah and it's sad it's that one of the things that needs to change and again I uh, I'm not. I'm not bashing the the CPS workers. I I just you guys drop the fucking ball. Like that's that's what it boils down to. Um, the data, the 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 scenarios that have played out in the days following, it's the writing's all over the wall, man. You guys made a bad choice, but that's also Portage County's mo. They're not going to fucking take accountability for any of that shit. They're they're the end all be all. Um, yeah. So listen, we are uh, we are at an hour, guys. We have a uh, basketball game we got to get to today, so I'm I going to wrap to... this. But I... no, you're not yet because I still have statistics. But it's gonna you got to give me like three minutes. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and the reason I want to do the reason I want to put the statistics out there is because sometimes I feel like people need to hear numbers to understand what. You know what I mean? Like, That's yes, all. our personal stories. Okay. So, in 2022, there were two um, agencies in Ohio, and I. that's why I'm stressing this, that released data reports that Ohio has some of the worst outcomes for foster care, specifically for teenagers aging out of the foster care. Um, so... Because of the articles and the amount of data, I didn't pull specifics, but they are, again, 2022, um, WKRC out of Cincinnati in the Ohio Capital Journal. You can literally Google Ohio um, has the worst foster care outcomes, and it'll be the first two that pops out. The data that they used um, is from reports of the Children's Defense Fund of Ohio, which is an official Ohio government website, um, or I should say endorsed website. The Children's Defense Fund is a nationwide organization that works to collect data, provide funding. Um, So they're, they're a good place to get statistics on what's going on in foster care if anybody is interested in it. In the 22-23 school year, we had 16,519 students in foster care. 
2021 is the most recent national report. There were 583, 476 children who were victims of abuse or neglect. That averages out to 1,599 kids each day. This then resulted in 388,900 kids in foster care. One of the reasons that our systems are failing is because foster parents and kinship parents as a whole are left to figure this out. We do not get a whole lot of agency support. Um, and we are asked to do a lot. We are asked to oversee um, bio uh, parents with bio parents. Um, we are asked to transport to and from appointments and um, visits if the visits aren't being overseen by us. And while, yes, that is what you sign up for as a foster parent, absolutely. Um, when you have kids of your own, when you are trying to report concerns, asking for more assistance, and you are left empty-handed, it leaves you feeling that you cannot keep doing this. We are lacking so many foster homes right now, which is another reason why reunification is a big push. Um, we have to start taking care and helping foster parents in order to give these kids safe places to go while those parents where reunification is appropriate are, are getting the services that they need to do that. Um, in Ohio in 2021, there was a 10% rate um, of kids having one or more recurrence of abuse within the 12 months of being returned home. There was a 14.7% rate um, that that recurrence of abuse then re-entered them back into the system within 12 months. Um, whether that means that parents aren't having the support after the kids came back or parents didn't get appropriate services before the kids went back or the kids never should have gone back, um, I think that in and of itself just once again goes to show um, we got to do better. We need a system. We need a system change. Um, that number should never be more than one or two percent of recurrence. So that's my statistic lesson. Um, again, <laughs> the the um, Ohio Children's Defense Fund. Um, We'll have all, it, there's all kinds of data. You can look county by county. You can look at the different rates of, you know, what was neglect, what was physical abuse, what was emotional abuse. It really, they really break things down for you. Um, so if it's something that you want to look into, I encourage everybody to go and check it out because the only way that we're going to see any changes for these kids is if the masses get together and, and say, we need some changes. Yeah. No, there's the, there needs to be changes all across the board. This country's fucking defunct right now. Um, yes. And unfortunately, this is just another one of those areas where it's just too many kids are falling through the cracks. Too many, there's too many issues. There's too many problems. And, you know, we have to support wars overseas apparently before we support our own people at home. So, right. Um, is there anything else you want to say before I wrap no, this up? I love you. I appreciate that you're, you're not a, um, dickhead anymore. Roman. Well, I'm still a dickhead. But I'm well, still a dickhead. Yeah, I just have a house. I'm proud of you. But I know that, <laughs> you know, I know mom came on here and gushed, but I'm, I'm proud of my brother. I'm proud of who he is today. Um, well, there was a day where you, he you, be able to say that. Um, but well, I, I appreciate that. Like I've, I, like I've said, I, I don't think I would be where I am today if it wasn't for you and mom. Um, you, you took on the role of helping take in my kids when shit went to, when everything went to hell, mom, mom picked up slack. Um, and I love you too. I, you're, I think what you're doing is great. I hate, I hate talking to you every day and listening to how it's beating you up. And then especially with this whole custody thing on top of it, I think, um, 
I, I sometimes I wonder if you're in the right profession, but you know, it's your life and I support you and I think you're doing a great job. I, you're working your ass off nonstop. Um, I appreciate everything you do for the kids, man. I, you're, I, we are very fortunate in the aspect of, you know, where, where some people have dropped the ball, um, our kids and, and, you know, Nevaeh comes home, Flynn comes home. It, our kids have so many people that love them unconditionally and infinitely. Um, and you know, that's, that's where my heart breaks for Adriana, because there's a, you have a whole other side of a family that that girl has grown up with over the last three years. I adore that little fucking girl. Um, she would come over here and have sleepovers. Like I, we would take her shopping. I, I, I fucking miss her, man. And it's sad because I think a lot of the want for full custody comes from a power standpoint. It, it comes from a control standpoint. Um, you know, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've understood too much love is never a bad thing. Um, too many people that love you is never a bad thing. It's, it's when you lack that love where problems start coming out and I, it breaks my heart because that little girl had a tremendous amount of just outpouring of love for, and you know, you, you have, she's in a situation now where the dad is vengeful. Um, I think, I, I, I think the mom understands it to a certain point, but I think a lot of it was done out of power. And I, when people can put their bullshit aside and realize, you know, too much love is never a bad thing. You, I mean, I look at our kids or look, look at my kids. I, my kids got put through the fucking ringer, but they've got you, they've got mom, they've got Mary, they've got, you know, Flynn, he's, he's even got, Flynn's got me. He's got mom. He's got you. It's, and he's not even, yeah. there's no, there. The, and I guess that's the, the point that I need. I just really want to push home is there's never, you can never love a child too much. Um, but when you start taking people that love them away, um, that's when you see problems, man. And that's, yeah. that's where a lot of this is going to fucking go belly up. But what do I know? What do I know? Yeah. I'm just a convicted felon with a podcast. So. <laughs> but hey, I'm going to get off here. I love you. Like I told everybody, Christopher's got a game today. So we're all going to head to Cleveland. I'm trying to get a gym workout in. But I love you. I will talk to you. Thank you for coming on. You if uh, Maybe we'll come back and do a second episode when things progress and <laughs> shit hits the fan when mom and dad see this. So, <laughs> so yeah. all right. I'll talk to you. All right. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.